We were young until we weren't, but the books stay the same. Casey here, introducing the podcast. So, in typical Morgan and Casey fashion, during the recording of our discussion on the Chronicles of Narnia, Voyage of the Don Treader, we went on a bit of a tangent about the Lord of the Rings film trilogy. So here's that discussion today, and we hope you enjoy this extended edition, if you will, of our Lord of the Rings discussion. I used to have... A tradition where at least once a year, me and my sister and my dad, normally my dad, but sometimes it's just me and my sister, would rewatch like all three movies. And sometimes we do them all in one day and we always do the extended editions. And so like, I have also seen these movies an absurd amount of times because it was like, <laughs> you know, at least once every year, but most of the time it was more than that. And the funny thing is that like, sometime after I went off to college, we kind of dropped off doing that. I want to say the last time I did a rewatch was when I was 19 or 20. So it's been like five years since I've seen these movies. And like, a lot's happened to me in those five years. A lot's happened in the world. (laughs) And it was truly an experience of like coming back to something I love and finding that not only does it like completely hold up and I still love it, but that like, because it had been such a long time, I was able to like also form new ideas and impressions while watching it, which was something I don't remember ever being able to do with those movies before. Other than the time when I watched them when I was like 15, And I was like, oh, I understand. Aragorn is hot. Which was like... (laughs) I'd always known subconsciously, you know, but like it really fully hadn't emerged for me consciously until I was a teenager. It was just really lovely this time because my sister and I watched like one... We watched them three days in a row. And we just got back to our new apartment. Well, not new apartment, but like our apartment that was practically new after having been gone for three months. (laughs) And it was just like, I don't know. I was really vibing, especially I think when I was rewatching Fellowship mm. with like thinking about like contrasting The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, which like obviously I haven't read or watched. Well, I watched the first Hobbit movie, but like I've seen it once and never again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but like thinking about the contrast of like Bilbo writing his story and like his adventure and how it's this like kind of whimsical thing that happens, at least like in, you know, the book version, not whatever the f- they did to the Hobbit movies, but that the consequences of that event of his adventure fall on the next generation. And it's like this very different thing. And I was thinking a lot about like what we generationally do to each other. Yeah. And uh, just really feeling those feels in this current day and age. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's something that the films kind of overlook, or they don't overlook it, but it's minimized. In the books, it's it's much more present of the stagnation and decay across generations. And you get, like, glimpses of it here and there. You know, there's, like, the scene in Return of the King where... Gandalf is giving this abbreviated history lesson to Pippin about how Gondor has just gone down into the dumps over the years because 
the kings at first they were interested in ruling, but then they became more and more isolated. And eventually the line was lost and replaced with stewards who are these just mediocre facsimiles of the real thing. And that's so much more present in the books. But I never thought about that in regards to Bilbo to Frodo, just that generational scarring that's passed on. Because you sort of see the the havoc, I suppose, that the ring plays on Bilbo after he loses the ring and he turns into a little goblin. But one thing I did want to ask you, what was your favorite of the three back in your budding teenage sexuality days? <laughs> and what's your favorite now? Has it changed for you? Um, It's, it's such a hard like question to answer. I think Return of the King was always my favorite, I want to say. And I don't necessarily think that's changed. It is hard for me to like really pick one though, because I think I definitely have like, because the narrative like in Two Towers and Return of the King splits into like watching multiple different people, then I have like, you know, this movie is my favorite for Mary and Pippin and this movie is my favorite for, so then it becomes split more along those lines. So like, I like Frodo's arc best in Fellowship, I think. Mm-hmm. Although I really did appreciate him so much more this entire go round, just saying, I think part of maturing is really being like, Frodo's the best. I love Frodo. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, why does he fall so much? <laughs> why does he keep having that look on his face? Now as an adult, I'm like, man, Frodo was going through some <laughs> shit and I feel him. <laughs> Am I Frodo? Frodo is just an approximation of adulthood. Yeah. My friend made a good point that like Frodo's arc is just such a slog, Mm -hmm. especially compared to, like, all the heroes. Everyone's sort of getting these victories, literal and metaphorical, throughout the series. And Frodo just keeps getting hammered down by this ring. You see the scarring around his neck. He just looks miserable all the time. (laughs) And you're just like, this is so miserable. But I do think there is something to say that as we get older we can we can kind of appreciate what frodo's experiencing yeah and just like i've always felt this but like this time i think it hit especially hard i mean i cried watching the movies multiple times this time which like i normally cry at least once but I, there was more crying this go around <laughs> the whole idea of like you can't go back was very very resonant <laughs> this particular go around and just like yeah, I don't know. I was, me and Frodo were just like really, really vibing this time. And just want to say, Elijah Wood, such perfect casting. It really is just perfect casting all around. I know. I mean, the. <laughs> really, truly. The one exception, I think, would be Liv Tyler as Arwen. But it's not like she's bad. It's just that. I mean, I think she's fine. When I watched the Lord of the Rings films for the first time as a kid, you know, Arwen's supposed to be the sexy elf that's hooking up with the sexy man, and you're supposed to think they're so sexy together. But the elf that I was drawn to was Galadriel, and I still have a huge crush on her to this day. She is just so beautiful, not in just the physical sense, like, yes, she's a Hollywood star, but more that, um, oh gosh, what's her name? What's what's the actress's name? Kate Blanchett? Kate Blanchett. You can feel that she has lived for 3,000 years or however old Galadriel is. And you just feel that weight of history and the confidence that comes with it. 
and the wisdom. And that was just so sexy to me as a kid. <laughs> Young Casey loved experienced woman. <laughs> Gonna open up a Diet Coke for this. That's, I mean, that's only grown with age. It's just, uh, as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate more the substance that she really embodies that I don't think Liv Tyler necessarily brings to Arwen. I mean, I think, like, no offense to Liv Tyler, great person, I'm sure. <laughs> but, like, she's not an actress on Kate Blanchett's level. Yeah. And I do wish, I think the the major issue I have with that portrayal. I think she's fine. I really love actually her introduction sequence. And I think if we'd gotten more like warrior princess Arwen, then like, I think maybe it would have worked better with her and everything. But like her chemistry with Aragorn is not necessarily the greatest in the world. I mean, it's fine. It's, it's fine. But like, I really wish that the, they could have had two actors that were more, yeah, had more chemistry. It's not so bad that it's distracting. It's just fine. Like, there are so Uh many elements in these movies that elevate the material to something just... Viggo Mortensen elevates Aragorn to just this unprecedented level. And I cannot imagine anyone else playing Aragorn just because of how well he embodied that role. But I do want to make a point about that intro sequence for Arwen... That in the books, that I know it's some other elf. Yeah, I'm blanking on his name, but it's some other elf, and he is a super badass because he actually took on a Balrog and killed a Balrog himself way back when. Mm. So he's a super cool badass, and I think that was infused into that moment with Arwen because she basically was taking on that role. And I think the problem is that in the books, Arwen is just kind of. A side character she's not really she doesn't have any big dramatic beats really in the book yeah certainly no like action beats and so i think the book was trying or the movies were trying to elevate her character but they basically kind of had to futz with it more than they had to with the other characters i think and so it just kind of falls flat because the content wasn't really there in the books for them to work with. Yeah. And I think um, Lindsay Ellis makes this point that like Arwen was supposedly supposed to be at the Battle of Helm's Deep too in the movies and that got cut out. Yeah. So they were going to do more stuff with her to like try and change it up and then they didn't. So then the first scene now feels out of place, even though it's like her best scene. And I think it, it's a shame because they, I feel like they do a really good job of like, I know we've had like many arguments about adaptation and what that looks like, but I think they do a really good job of bringing over enough so that the movies are accurate, but also like changing enough so that like, I think they improve upon the story in certain ways, like giving Aragorn more of a character arc and things like that. I think it's too bad they didn't go further with her and sort of trying to fix that. But <sighs> no, that's that's true. I mean, because for people who don't know the books, Aragorn has no arc. He he announces, I think it's literally like within three pages of his introduction. It might be the exact same page, actually, <laughs> where he just pulls out the, the sword of the sealed door, the broken sword, and he just announces this sword will be reforged and I will be king. So giving him that ambivalence in this in the movies, he doesn't want to be king. 
like it works actually on a very thematic level with the ring and these ideas of power and corruption where he's just terrified of becoming the very thing that basically brought his own society down with the the Numenorians and also brought Gondor down, was bringing Rohan down, was just being a big old party pooper for the whole world. And so, like, that was great seeing him have an actual arc. And what's great about it, too, is that, like, I'm actually not a huge fan normally of the reluctant hero trope. You know, I think it can get really frustrating when the hero's dragging their feet about doing something. But Aragorn doesn't do it too much. It's just that he's, like, reluctant to be king, but he's not reluctant about, like, basically doing any of his duties or things he's supposed to be doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. He, like, pretty quickly progresses to, like, being okay with the kingship when it's shown that that's, like, a necessary thing he has to do. So I feel like it's just the correct amount of, like, him worrying about, you know, following in his ancestors' footsteps and not being a good person and not being a good king without it being like, I don't want to be king. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It really, the movies are just so pitch perfect there. I mean, there are some flaws. And I think what I was trying to get at with my earlier question about which movies you like or which one you like most now, because as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate Fellowship of the Ring more and more. I can appreciate the beauty of Galadriel more, but also just like (laughs) the elements of building the fellowship of seeing the fellowship fractured. And then also just the reliance more on practical effects and just that everything feels so much more grounded and real so that like when there are those big action sequences with like the Balrog, it really is mesmerizing. That scene still gives me chills. And I think it's made so much more effective because you don't have a hundred different battles taking place and all these massive armies fighting each other. Don't get me wrong. The Battle of Minas Tirith is still one of the most amazing things I've ever witnessed. But I think there is something to say that like the Fellowship of the Ring is so much more intimate. You get close to a lot of these characters. You get close with Boromir, who might be the most interesting character in the movies, in my opinion, you know, of course, he dies off in the first one. So we really never see him again like, outside of cameos. Well, we get flashbacks. Uh, the the, like the, the flashbacks, flashbacks are good. Don't. Yeah. Like, let me be clear. The flashbacks are very, very good. But we don't get that sort of extended time with him that we had in Fellowship where we could really see his character and really appreciate his redemption at the end when he recognizes his folly. They're just they're so good. Those movies are so good. Yeah, I just like the things I was noticing this time too were like small details. Like I think obviously there's a lot of watching these characters run, <laughs> and I was watching like especially uh, in Two Towers in the beginning when Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are like running around trying to catch up with the orcs who have Merry and Pippin. I was watching them run a lot and just like. The pitch perfect way they run, mm-hmm. <laughs> like Aragorn runs like full body, throwing himself forward. Like it's exactly how you think he would run. Whereas like Legolas is like posture is very good. He's a very dainty little runner. And then like obviously Gimli's got his little Dorvin stride. <laughs> the amount of like detail that go into like, every part of this movie is just incredible. And speaking of the battle sequences, I was expecting this time to find them more boring because I've noticed that my like ability to tolerate action has really gone down in 
since adulthood. <laughs> but I was correct in remembering that, like, they do such a good job of having character moments in the middle of action that, like, I didn't find myself getting bored during the battles because most of the time it wasn't just fighting. Like, there would be, like, you know, a couple minutes or something of just fighting. Then there would be, like, a little character moment that's, like, you see the character fighting in a way that's particular to them or they're, like, having some crisis in the middle of battle. So well done. I mean, I, this is the best series, right? There is there is no competitor at this point. This series wins. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if you exclude the Hobbit, uh, let's let's well, just be clear yes. about that. I I, <laughs> I don't think that counts. But I agree. the The sheer level of details, like there's there's a great <laughs> behind the scene the behind the scenes. Uh, features of the of these movies are amazing themselves and yeah. worth watching. But there's one I remember where they are interviewing this guy who is in charge of making all the chainmail armor in the movies. And the behind the scenes featurette about him basically just shows how much this man has lost his mind. Welcome to the bubble. Welcome to the bubble. This has been our home for what the last year? Two years. No, we only had the bubble for about a year. And the hostage. Oh, and the hostage, yes. We can't forget the hostage. He still hasn't coughed up his secrets. Making all of these <laughs> armor sets. That dedication to that level of detail is incredible. And and you're right. Those character moments really elevate the action. I think that's, that's the failure of a lot of modern day action films is that they forget yes. about those character beats. But in this movie, you know, there's this sort of ongoing competition between Gimli and Legolas, all the hobbits kind of like scrambling around. Everyone has a sort of unique way of fighting and a unique way of approaching battle. And you really get a sense of who they are. I do think I don't want this to just be a praise fest because there are two. <laughs> well, I guess three three main issues that I have with the series. Is one of them the racism by chance? Y One of them is the racism for me. Yes, I mean... <laughs> that was another big thing I kind of re-noticed this go-round. Right, and that's obviously informed by by the books, because J.R. Tolkien does the same thing that C.S. Lewis does, where there are the Easterlings, who are the brown people, who join the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. But again, I think also Lindsay Ellis points this out, the movies did not have to lean into that, and... They did, and they should not have, so shame on them. Luckily, it's it's not as present as it is in, like, The Horse and His Boy, for example. Yeah, but it's hard to beat The Horse and His Boy for just sheer sure. prevalence of racism. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to do that now, because, like, this is something I never quite understood why the Lord of the Rings films haven't been more co-opted by white supremacists, because it is literally just a bunch of white people taking on the, the hordes of these ugly orcs from the East. And not just white people, but like white people with really blue eyes. That's another thing I noticed this time. I was like, everyone has like the bluest eyes. They gave like a list blue contacts. Yeah. I mean, thank God they haven't. Yeah. But like the thing is like, the iconography is kind of there to be abused in that way. And that that is a problem. But the flaws I noticed besides that, first of all, Gimli becomes less and less of a character as the movies go on. He just turns into the... Uh, the comic, really. Yeah. And it kind of takes away from his character and it takes away from the friendship he is forming with Legolas. 
There's one scene in particular, I think in Return of the King, it's a deleted scene. It's the drinking contest. Ah, but I love the drinking contest. I hate it. I hate it so much. I wish it had never seen the light of day. It is a dumb joke. It has a weird anachronism where Legolas ends it with game over. Ah, I hate it so much. That's not anachronistic because Gimli literally is like, we're playing a game. Yeah, but game over is like, that's, it feels so video game. No, I don't think so. It feels so out of place in these movies. I literally have never thought that. (sighs) That's beside the point, Morgan. The point is, it's just a dumb, dumb scene. It doesn't add anything. It just turns Gimli into even more of a fool. It was frustrating for me. Another flaw is the continuing over-reliance on CGI over practical effects. And then the third thing is the lack of Tom Bombadil. (laughs) Oh my god. I'll murder you. (laughs) Best thing they ever did. I think this is the second time you've threatened to murder me on this podcast. Let it it just be- It's the first time over Tom Bombadil Let the record show Morgan has threatened to kill me. Though the first time you threatened to murder me is because I made fun of you the way you introed the first episode of the series. Uh, (laughs) Well, I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) It wasn't fair. It's it's okay. Leave me alone. It's okay. So yeah, I guess those are my flaws. But like, it's been 20 years. They still hold up. I still enjoy them. I still find something new out of them. The best. And I think part of it too for me is that like I, I, with the exception of once in my life when I found out that my like best friends in high school had never seen the movies. So then I forced them to come over to my house three weeks in a row over the summer to watch the movies. With the exception of that, I've never watched the movies not with my sister, too. So, like, we have, like, set things that we'll say, you know, when moments happen (laughs) and stuff. And, like, lines we'll quote along with. And it's, like, a very much interactive experience. So, like, beyond the films themselves just being great, but, like, the, the tradition we have around them is also just, like, great. I don't know. I was just... I was very happy because I was a little bit worried I'd watch them and be like, oh, these just aren't quite the same as they were, you know, which happens to me sometimes. Uh, rewatched Raiders of the Lost Ark like a year or so ago. Oh, and sh- are you going to say what I think you're going to say? Don't get me wrong. I still have like a lot of nostalgia and love for the movie, but I think rewatching it, I was like, I don't love it quite as much as I did when I was a kid. Partially actually for the reason of I think the action scenes are too long. Mm. A lot of them. A lot of them, I was like, this is just too long. End it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. there are a couple great, like, character type moments in those action scenes. The iconic one being pulls the gun. Indiana just yeah, and yeah. shoots the guy. Yeah. Which is great. But a lot of times, I just found there was not enough in those scenes for, for me personally. And so I started getting bored during some of the action scenes. But yeah, I was a little worried I would have that reaction with Lord of the Rings. But no, I didn't. I cried. I loved it. We stand Elijah Wood in front of in this house. So Sam is still the best. We haven't really talked about him, but his character just becomes more and more amazing as the, as the films go on. I love him so much. Oh, actually, this was a weird thing that actually made me a little uncomfortable this time. What's that? About Sam. Not like in that Sam is a bad person or anything like that, but just literally that the fact, I hadn't really clued into it that he calls Frodo Mr. Frodo 
literally the entire time. I was like, the class dynamics of this are one, weird, and two, like, if you go on this, like, epic journey with someone who is, like, basically your best friend, and I think was his best friend even prior to, like, at least the movies certainly imply that they were already close friends before all this, maybe he could just be Frodo, a thought. I felt sad about it, honestly. <laughs> I was like, this, like clear class boundary that's going on here is is stupid and like sam is his friend not his gardener anymore let him call frodo frodo (laughs) (laughs) that's a fair point i think there are a couple of moments where he just says frodo but those are in the context that frodo's about to get like eaten by something or attacked by something, and it's more like Frodo, no. Or he's running away, yeah. You know, it's, it's something something bad is happening, basically. Right. But yeah, I think that's that's a good point. I mean, I don't know if I know enough about the class dynamics of Middle Earth and especially the Shire to really comment on the problematic nature of that. I don't really know enough, but I think it's it's a good point because they're. At best, it's kind of just this vestigial thing that he's always called him Mr. Frodo, and he just keeps calling him Mr. Frodo, because that's what he's always called him. But then, yeah, there's also that underlying effect that, like, it reinforces this power dynamic of employer-employee. Yeah, why doesn't Frodo ever go, you could just call me Frodo, Sam. (laughs) It's chill. Actually, speaking of of, of names and people things, uh, the... Smeagol Frodo dynamic this time also made me more uncomfortable. The whole like master thing. Ooh, I was not having the best time with that. Which I mean, like, I also really appreciate all of the. I mean, their dynamic in general is super interesting, and there's a lot that I I enjoy about it. And and this time around, especially seeing all of the ways that they work to foreshadow the like very end was great. But yeah, there were just a couple of times where the whole master thing made me like, I guess the way I read that, it's just like Smeagol is so beholden to the ring that he'll just debase himself to any level in order to get the ring back. And that's kind of how I read it. I didn't necessarily read too much of like the power dynamics behind that. No. Yeah, I agree. I agree for, like, when he's using it, it doesn't actually bother me as much. It's the couple of times that, like, so when Frodo is trying to convince him to come out of the, like, waterfall thing, he is like, come to Master, come to Master. And I'm like, why why can't you just do me? I think that would work equally effectively. Like, I'm not sure why. Like, I get Frodo's, like, freaking out right then and is trying to do all he can. I understand. It's a tense situation. But I didn't love it then. And I think there are a couple of times where, like, either Frodo or Sam, after that, when talking to Smeagol, we'll talk, we'll say, like, refer to Frodo as master in some, for some reason. I was just like, mm, I don't love it when you're picking up on Smeagol's terminology, because I think it's fine if it's something Smeagol does, but I don't love them picking up and reinforcing it back at him. And I think that's what made me uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think they ever reach, certainly in the movies... I can't really speak to the books because it's been a while since I've read them, but it doesn't ever reach that level of like discomfort for me in the way that the Chronicles of Narnia have been, <laughs> or just yeah. like other other movies from the early 2000s and 90s 
which there's this weird period of time in the 90s and early 2000s where shows and movies were pretty explicitly homophobic, sexist, racist, whatever. But in this like very casual, quirky way, like friends, all the comments about Chandler being gay, he like dresses up as a woman or whatever. Or I think, no, not it's uh, Chandler's dad, I think, is a cross dresser in the show. And they really play it up for laughs. Mm. And Chandler's always sort of beating back the accusation that he's gay. There is this sort of weird dynamic in in those shows and movies at that time where it's like it was just very chill to be casually homophobic luckily the lord of the rings films seem to avoid that trap for the most part yeah so i mean i don't know specifically i'm gonna i'm gonna keep bringing up Lindsay ellis in this because like i've watched her lord of the rings videos like five million times but like she specifically talks about how like they could have really played no homo much harder, but they like let there be like these really beautiful male friendships, which like this time my sister and I did actually discuss. We're like, so like, do we ship any of these things? <laughs> and I think the really beautiful thing, at least for us, and I don't want to invalidate a lot of people that I know do ship some of the like male friendships as like romantic ones um, in Lord of the Rings. The beautiful thing is that like, at least for us, you get that these are like, lifelong deep bonds but yeah you don't have to read them as romantic and like obviously the canon is that they're not and so for us we don't particularly ship any of them as anything other than like i mean we talked about like legolas and gimli are like platonic life partners right like the two of them are going to be together for the rest of their lives and we all know it (laughs) but like that you have the opportunity to like yeah, really enjoy these relationships. And if you wanted to read romance into them, you sh- for sure could. If you didn't want to, you got to have these very, like, strong, powerful, wonderful friendships between men. Men hugging each other, men crying over each other. That's the sort of stuff we need to encourage. And actually, maybe that's why things like the white supremacist movement haven't picked up mm. on this much. Because, like, I feel like these movies are, for the most part, pretty, like, anti-toxic masculinity. There's definite issues with them, like the very clear lack of female characters and like gender roles and things, and we could talk about that. But like, for the most part, for movies that are set in a like medieval-esque time period where like men are doing men war things, you get a variety of male characters with different strengths. I mean, you get like Pippin, who is a frankly incredible character, who I absolutely adore, and like he is not a fighter. That is okay. I mean, Frodo is not a fighter, and, like, they have different strengths and, like, great aspects to them. Faramir, too, is, he fights, but, like, he is not, quote, quote, a, a fighter, you Yeah, know? he's he's basically not Boromir. Right. And it's just, like, this is shown to be valid and okay. I was so pleased. I was so pleased with my rewatch, Casey. Of all the male characters that Tolkien wrote, he basically said Faramir is the one he... J.R. Tolkien is Faramir. That makes sense. Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Cute. There's a, a remarkable moment that's in the books, not in the movies, with Gimli and Legolas, where I think it's in the appendices at the end of Return of the King. It tells this story that Legolas is like one of the last elves to leave Middle-earth for the Undying Lands. And he brings 
along with him Gimli. And Gimli is the only dwarf to go to the Undying Lands. And it's just this beautiful culmination of their friendship. Not just that Legolas is bringing Gimli along, but that Gimli is going along with him. Mm -hmm. Just the idea of a dwarf tag-teaming it with a freaking elf and just leaving his land for a friendship with an elf, it's it's remarkable. Platonic life partners! <laughs> when you hear, like, what these do continue to get up to and everything, you're like, wow, they really, you know, whether you believe it's platonic or not, I think we can all agree that they are life partners. And that that's a canon part of the text, and I think that that is, like, very exciting for people. And You know, the couple that I really ship from this trilogy is the romance happening between Smeagol and Gollum. That's <laughs> some high-quality love and romance there. Oh, man. Someday we should do this. You ever want to see some weird Oh my god. Go on like AO3, uh, which is like the big fan fiction site, and like look at like some of the popular ships for Lord of the Rings. Because people have a weird deep love of Smeagol. I don't want to think about him that way, but apparently some people do. You know, when Smeagol is just hanging around and he's got that fish just hanging out of his mouth, raw and wriggly, <laughs> it's just uh, It's just so hot. The wheels start turning. Okay, well, I think that's as good a place to leave off this conversation <laughs> as any. <laughs>